Well, good morning. Good morning. Awesome. It's good to see you guys. I want to welcome you. If you're a guest here today, I want to welcome you. My name is Greg Harris, the senior pastor at Olive Branch. We're excited that you'd be with us. We are starting off a Christmas series here called Chasing Christmas, and we're going to be discussing a conversation over several of those aspects of Christmas we all know, like hope and peace and joy and love. And we're going to be kind of unpackaging those, um, those ideas as it comes to kind of the, the biblical life, the life of what the Bible talks about, how Christianity views that, about what Christmas is really saying about those things. In fact, for me, when it comes to hope, I start in a strange place. How many of you in your life have ever fasted anything? I mean, you've maybe fasted something in your life of some kind. Now, how many of you have ever fasted food? Like you've actually not eaten. Now, some of my, I think the longest I've ever really fasted was like uh, almost two weeks. And it was a very interesting experience because you can do like a three-day fast, a five-day fast. It just kind of kept going. And the intention was to really kind of see like, what is this like? What is this doing? It was a spiritual, um, spiritual journey for myself. What was interesting about the beginning of that fast is that your first couple of days, all you're thinking about is, man, I want a donut. I would love to have some sugar. Can I, can I eat something sweet? And then about your third day, you start donuts and sugar and all that's gone. You're just like, can I have a carrot? Can I, can I have anything at this point? And then about the fourth to fifth day, as you start getting into that portion of the journey, you actually begin to get into a situation where you, you kind of begin to forget about food. And you, you're kind of like, oh, I'm doing good. You pray during meals and stuff or, or things will go on. But pretty much you're not, you don't get hungry until suddenly out of nowhere, just as ravenous hunger will approach you and attack you. And you're just you're starving. You're like, oh my gosh, I am so hungry at this moment. And then you start doing this thing. You start making out all these dreams about what you're going to eat when you're done. And I'm going to have a pizza and I'm going to have all the pizzas I can think of. You know, you just, and you're not supposed to do that, but you're just thinking of all the different food that you could, you could enjoy and have. And you're just, you're desperate. And then it goes away and you're back into that same routine. What I found interesting is that fasting will teach you a lot about hope. You see, when, when, you're, when you're really in the middle of not having something, it's when your heart erupts for hope. You're hoping for that day you can eat again. You're hoping for that time when you can re-engage, whatever it is that you're fasting. There is a desire that occurs because of a, a lack, there, a, a sense of deprivation in our lives. And hope is powerful to get us through the lack. Hope is powerful to call us beyond the current circumstances to a greater potential in the future. And as we talk about hope, hope is one of those things that at Christmas time, many people are considering and thinking about. But to be honest, hope has been um, a journey for many people. It's been a big deal in our culture at large. Um, at least it was a few years ago. I can remember back when um, former President Obama was candidate and Senator Obama, and he was running under the term of Hope and change. Y'all remember that, that, that statement, hope and change. And the idea was a hope. He, he was trying to paint a picture that, oh, he, imagine an African-American president. That's a hope for the future. Imagine what that could do for race relations. It's a hope for the future. Imagine this hope and this change. And wrapped in those two concepts, the American mind was captured in what was going on in the culture itself. At the box office, a new a kind of a new element was emerging and growing in strength. And it was about hope. There were, there were superhero genres. The Marvel superhero genre was, was on fire, exploding into the scene. And the original stories were about this hope, this, this horrible situation on earth. And these superheroes could save us, get us out of this. There's a hope found amongst our heroes. There's a hope found in our world. 
In fact, um, a lot of people in, in, that last gener- in that last 10 years or so in the back were joining up in justice movements. They were hoping to end poverty. They were hoping to dive in and make a difference when it came to whether it was um, the sex slave trade or, or maybe it was some kind of situation with homelessness. Now, a lot of people on Instagram, on Facebook, and all these locations were doing great movements of great hope that we could end some of these things. I don't know about you, but in the last few years, it seems to have shifted a little bit. Hope isn't really on the horizon. Hope isn't really something that I hear a lot about. In fact, at the box office, the big hits that were coming out in the last five years were post-apocalyptic hits. You know what I'm talking about? Where somehow we're going to pit our children against each other to see who wins. And, or maybe we're going to uh, have a situation where we're all running through giant mazes and you can't get out. I mean, anything that had to do with the tyrants had ruled, they won, and now we have to just grit and fight through this horrific world in which hope is lost. In fact, that change has even shifted a little bit more. You don't get these post-apocalyptic as much, and we wind up with kind of suicide problems. In fact, the big thing on Netflix right now is all about suicide. It's, it's about the concept of despair. You, you read more and more about how people are, are just giving up. And it seems that we're not looking to heroes to give us hope anymore. Our, our earthly heroes are out fighting alien spaceships with no, no thought of Earth anymore and in kitschy, fun, hey, hey kind of attitudes. And we instead, we're not seeing the hope ignited. We're, we're seeing a world in which we've lost hope. I don't know if it's just me over-exaggerating it, but the more I talk to people, the more it seems that the horizon doesn't seem hopeful. It seems bleak. It seems frightening. It seems nerve-wracking. And yet here's Christmas. Christmas is a time of hope, right? I mean, we should all be excited. It's hope season. This is the time we get excited about hoping for all kinds of things because guess what? We had our time of thanks and now it's time to trample all the store guards and get our stuff because it's a hope time. And what we've done is we've decided we're going to ignite into hope by remembering everything that we wanted. You see, I hope I get things for Christmas is the number one way hope is used in this season. And we have this people who are excited about, oh, I can't wait till Christmas because I hope I get, or I hope this will happen. I and we've turned hope into wish. I mean, one of the common denominators, which Amazon and Target and Nordstrom and all these people have besides being consumer uh, salespeople is that they have their wish list. Everybody got a wish list? You ever put something on your wish list, hoping somebody will look at it? Wish lists are there to say, these are the things I would love to buy. These are the things I'd love to have. And on the wish list is this list of desires. And we turned hope into a wish, a wish that we would find at Christmas under the, under the tree, that thing that we wanted, that thing that we would enjoy. And to be honest, a lot of people, that's about as far as some hope goes. As well, you know, I, I hope I get something. I wish I would find somebody. Sometimes it's a hope for a relationship, a wish for a relationship. Sometimes it's a hope for just maybe a better year, a wish for our candidate to succeed. You have all kinds of interesting hopes and wishes. They all seem to fit in the same category of like a tree, of a gift under a tree. And as we begin to think through this, I think that's, that's totally what our consumer culture is trying to tell you. If you just had more stuff, your hopes w- would be satisfied. In fact, if you just had the new gadgets, your hopes would be satisfied because all you have to do is, is say, Alexa, give me whatever I want and she will do it for you. 
We have an entire culture been around the new, the greatest, the latest. If I could get this, if this new iPhone or this new Samsung or this new, you name it, if this thing came out, man, then life would be better. Then life would be easier. I'd be more connected. We'd have less problems. We'd have more thing, more people generating good ideas, whatever it is. And there's been a lot of hope in science. There's been a lot of hope in gadgets. There's been a lot of hope in people. Yet we keep opening the presents. And what do we find inside but emptiness? They don't seem to fulfill. They don't seem to come through. They don't seem to land and say, ha, I got what I was looking for. The hope is satisfied. What are we hoping for is a really big question. And why does it seem to always show up in this gift form? In fact, I think some of us would agree that it doesn't just sit around in stuff. Many of us probably aren't captured by the vision of stuff. But you know where most people, I think, in the church are captured by? Oh, man, it's in the next generation. Hope could be found in the next generation. Hope could be found in my kids. Hope could be found if we could just raise them right, if we just train them right, if we just educate them right, if we could just give them the right kind of stuff. They will have a better life than I had. They will be more moral than I was. They will end up in a better situation than I am in. And that is the dream, the American dream in some ways, is the hope for our children, the hope of that next generation. And it started a long time ago. I mean, there was a whole generation that was raised up, and they basically said, hey, don't trust anybody over 30. The hope is found in this generation. And then they moved above 30 and said, never mind, never mind. We, don't, we, don't, we, we, we want to have hope with us still. And so they looked at that next generation that was after them. And they said, that's the Gen X generation. We got ignored. And so then they went to the millennials and said, oh, these guys, they're like the greatest generation. And now they're starting to get ignored for the I generation that's coming up. And we focus on generations. What is this generation thinking going on? Why, why are we thinking about generations except there's something about having hope in them? There's something about maybe they're the ones, maybe in the progress of human evolution, in the progress in human transformation, this is the generation that'll get it figured out. They're technologically advanced. They are, they're engaged. This isn't new thinking at all. Having hope in a generation, having hope in the next generation, having hope in stuff, having hope in relationships, this, isn't, this is all the same, same solutions we've been trying for centuries and millennia upon millennia. In fact, let me just take you back, back to where we love to normally go, back to a garden scene uh, and a situation where the first human beings were actually walking around in, a, in the perfect relationships, as the Bible describes. I mean, they had a perfect relationship with God. They had all that they needed spiritually. They had a perfect integrated relationship with themselves. They had a perfect relationship with their spouse and, the, and that was the family that was. And everything that they could ever need and ever want on earth was there in this garden and they were satisfied. That is until they were tempted that something was missing. They were given this, this hint that maybe something's not quite right. And in an act of rebellion, humanity pushed God away and decided they would do it themselves. And that one act, and that one scene, and that one moment, hope was born. Now, we don't think of it as hope being born, but if hope exists in a lack. If hope exists when we're, when we're poor about something, maybe it's, maybe it's poor within ourselves or poor with our finances or poor with others. Hope is there, a hope for that being fulfilled. Hope was born that day because what happened was immediately we see that man was broken with himself. He saw that he was naked. He saw that he was, and he was ashamed. Something happened. There was a distance, a, a lack that occurred in their soul. And they said, man, I don't know what this is. Maybe you sense it today because it's with us. Maybe it's a sense of your own value. 
Maybe there's a sense of fear that you're going to be discovered for being a fake, for being somebody you're not, for not being competent enough or whatever it is. Maybe it's that you're ashamed of who you've become. There's a sense of lack of value that, you know, you've done some things and you hope nobody discovers it. Or maybe you're just guilty and it doesn't matter what you've done. You just got a sense that somebody's out for you and after you and you don't know why it's always on your back. What is this distance that we've created in our souls? Why this gap that exists? And why is it that we so hope there might be answers? Maybe it's in education. Maybe it's in spirituality. Maybe it's somewhere out there. Where is this hope? And the, the other problem is that we have a distance with each other. I mean, you think about it. Adam and Eve were, were, were the first family. Everybody from them becomes family. Whether you, you believe that or not, even if you're not a Christian, you're here and you believe in evolution, they at least stay. Hey, it had to be at least a pair of people because you can't, you, you can't have that evolutionary advantage to show up in multiple places at once. It starts with a pair. It starts here and everybody then, all humanity is brothers and sisters of some kind. And how did brothers and sisters become strangers and strangers become enemies? So that we don't love each other, but we hate each other. How did we, how did we become so estranged? Why is there such a gap between us, even within the church? And yet we seem to be distanced from the earth. It doesn't grow what we desire. It seems to be raging against us with hurricanes and earthquakes and fires and all kinds of destructive events. And we go, what is going on with this world? And we just hope for a better one. We hope it through an economic system. We hope it through politics. We hope it through the next generation. And that next generation thought began early. See, the very day that Eve and Adam had made the rebellion and everything seemed to distance and everything got worse and everything got pushed aback and all of this gap, deprivation appeared, God came to explain the consequences. But here's what's interesting. When God showed up, the one they had this intimate relationship with, they hid from him. There was now a gap with God. There's something about them. They just couldn't be near him. So he pushes himself in upon them. And then he begins to explain what's going on. And in that explanation, as he deals with the enemy, as he deals with Satan, the serpent in, the, in, this, in this setting, he turns and he says this, the Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. And the picture is very interesting here of, a, of this one who is a descendant of Eve, who is going to take that enemy, the one who brought all of this deprivation, all of this depravity, all this sin, all this distance, who had brought that about upon us, and this one will crush him. But at the same time as he crushes him, it will strike him a mortal blow. And yet here's the weird thing about this. See that word offspring? The word offspring in that setting is actually the Hebrew word for seed. And it says the woman's seed. In all of ancient literature, in all of the biblical literature, and everything that you can read, no one applies woman and seed together. Men have seed, women have wombs. Why does a woman have a seed? What is going on here? How does this work out? That a woman's seed would be the one that ultimately crushes this. And a mystery was born. But it was a mystery born into an offspring. It was born into the generations. And so the hope of generations began. In fact, the very next chapter in the first verse is a very interesting statement made by Eve and Adam. It says, now Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying this when she birthed this child, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. Interesting sentence. And in the Hebrew, it's even more interesting because it's not just I've gotten a man, it's I've gotten the man. 
And many scholars believe what she believed she had had in her first child was now the package that I have this present. It's given by God. I have gotten the seed, the man. He's going to take us out of this mess. He's my hope. It's over. And yet Cain was nothing of the sort. When they opened the package of Cain, what did they find? But murder and anger and jealousy and a man who would wander the earth, not unified. He would be the ones who created cities and dwellings and sin would multiply through humanity. It wouldn't stay there. And so it seems that the placement of hope was in the generation. Well, that didn't work. So maybe it's found, maybe it's found in another thing. Abram had hope in a generation, but that hope in a generation was maybe this generation will find the right political solution. Maybe this generation will be the one that brings about the greatest solution. And this man, Abram, comes along. Now, Abram was a man who lived in the city of Ur. Now, we all think of Ur as like, that sounds weird. Who'd name your city Ur? But Ur is the cosmopolitan capital of the world found out there in, Mesopot in the Mesopotamian Valley. It would have had massive ziggurats on almost every corner, very religious. They had a giant temple complex to the moon god. And it was, a, it was the height of the trading area of the ancient world, roughly around 21 BC, 2100 BC. And Abram is a rich man dwelling in this city. And as he's enjoying his life with his father, suddenly God comes to him and tells him this. Now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. He ultimately call him out, lead him up and down into the Canaanite territory of the Hittite empire, which was... Kind of brutal, not quite like Ur, not sophisticated, more like a united federation of small kingdoms, all of them very barbarian and very brutal. And he says, I'll make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. And in this suddenly he says, I'm going to make you a nation. Well, guess what that means? This man who had no children was going to have a child. And this child was going to be a blessing to the nations. He was going to create a nation that would become able to bless the world. And so Abraham runs, and one day he realizes this isn't working. I'm not having kids. So he tells his wife. His wife says, whoa, why don't you take my handmaid? He sleeps with the handmaid, and a new baby's born named Ishmael. And he goes, I've got it. I've got the blessing to the nations. It's Ishmael. And he opens the package, and God says, that's not it. It was empty. This isn't the hope you're looking for. Okay, well, God says, I'll bring you one. His name was Isaac. And Isaac comes and he's a great guy. He's an amazing prayer warrior. He has a great wife, but he's a lousy dad. Loves one child over another. There's this whole split in the family. They both brothers hate each other. It looks a lot like Cain and Abel. Or it looks a lot like Cain and Abel. And next thing you know, the boys are separated. And, and Jacob is now the, the line. And he's the deceiver. And he's walking through. And he's discovering who God is. But he's a lousy dad. And his 12 sons make a really lousy nation. And all their political interests and desire, though beautiful and righteous, because God has given them the word, they don't listen. They're stiff-necked, stubborn, and arrogant. And where they were to be a blessing to the nations, they become self-fixated on their own rules and laws and think of the nations as those who would corrupt them. And it doesn't seem the package of politics was the one that was going to deliver. And so maybe it wasn't the whole nation. Maybe it wasn't found in one person. Maybe it was the leadership that they needed to focus on. A political leader, that's it. And up comes David. As the nation cried out for a king, out came Saul. Saul was corrupt, but David was a man after God's own heart. And they thought, maybe David's this one, the one who would crush the enemy. Maybe David's this one who would become the seed. And yet, all he had a problem was... Listening to God and then listening to women and then doing war and it just wasn't going to be him. The package was empty. 
And God one day comes to him after he's built his own house and built his own place. like, I'm going to build God a bigger and better house. He says, no, you're not. Here's what I'm going to do for you, David. When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, in other words, when you're dead, I'm going to raise up your offspring after you and you will come from your, that will come from your body and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be to him a father and he shall be to me a son. What an odd promise. And so I think David, as he's dying, breathing his last breath, realizes it's going to be Solomon. It's got to be Solomon. So he picks out Solomon. Solomon, this wise man who is so intelligent, so wise, so capable of writing wisdom and not capable of following his own wisdom, is in the package. He winds up rejecting God, walking away from him, a king of Israel. And his own son, Rehoboam, would split the nation in two toward the nation of Israel, which was in the north would find themselves with not a single good king to ever fulfill this prophecy. Empty package after empty package. And even the Judean kings would be some good, some bad, none of them perfect, none of them capable. The package seemed to be empty. In fact, in the middle of the rejection, as God began to get upset with the nation, he was ready to remove them. He sends a prophet to speak his words. And in one of the sieges of of Assyria, God's trying to comfort this king And the king's not listening. He says, ask God for a sign, Isaiah says. And the king says, I don't want a sign. I'm not going to test God. Get out of my face, Isaiah. And Isaiah says, fine, you want a sign? God will give you a sign. Verse 7, 14, he says, therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God is with us. That's important to know that God would be with us in the middle of a siege when you think all your food is going away, when everything is going horribly and you're frightened and he says, no, be okay. God is with you. There will be a sign that God is with us in our darkest times when everything's on the line, when it seems horrible, there will be one who is born from a virgin, a seed of a woman who is a king. In fact, he will go on to describe this This person in chapter 9, he goes, For to us a child is born and a son is given, and the government shall be on his shoulders, his rule. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal or Everlasting Father. Prince of Peace, who are we talking about here? What is going on? How can this one have the attributes of God, the names of God, be the seed of a woman, be the one who's going to sit on the throne of David forever, be a son of God, yet at the same time be the one who blesses the nations and crushes evil? What is this? It seems that it's calling to our hope, calling to our longings. No, it's not found in politics. No, it's not found in family. No, where is it found? It's not found in our stuff. Where is it discovered? What is going on? In fact, he goes on to say of the increase of his rule, his government, and of peace. Shalom. There will be no end the throne of, on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it, to uphold it with justice and with ah, righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. I always find those two words interesting, justice and righteousness. In essence, we could translate it as justice and justice in the, in the English language, but there's something different about the ideas. Justice is the, bring, the, the erasing of inequities, the idea that the distances between us would be brought together. Righteousness had to do with a different distance. It had to do with the rightness with everything in the world, the rightness especially with God. 
And where we weren't right with God, where there's distance existed, he says, there will come a time when that righteousness is forever. You will be linked back to God. It will never end. And inequities and injustices as we know them will be gone. We will be brothers and sisters again. The earth will not rebel. Everything we've ever longed for will be made right within us, within the world, and with God. Because of this one who would come, who would establish this peace, who would bring this about. And Israel looked and looked and looked and looked and they opened package after package from rebel after rebel and they never found it. Until one day they found themselves, though freed for a while and having their own nation, the potential of a king rising up, locked under Roman rule. And no, it was a dreaded rule. As a rule that crushed them, that oppressed them, that made them do things they would never expect, that tried to shut down their temples at time and even place the, the God of Zeus around. And there was a fomenting anger and rebellion amongst the people as they longed and looked. When's that present coming? When is this one they started to call Messiah going to be here? And they looked for a military king. They looked for a military giant who would crush Rome, who was the serpent in their minds, who would bring about a military rule as they read these prophecies. But that's not what God had in mind at all. There was a package coming. In fact, you'll find it if you want, open your Bibles to Luke chapter 1. And an announcement given to a young lady in an obscure town in northern Galilee called Nazareth. And so we pick it up there in, in Luke chapter 1, verses 26 through 38. If you want, it's on page 855 of your Bibles, or you can open your app to that. And, and here's how it begins. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph as the house of David and the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. Be warned when you hear, O favored one. That's not really a, a, great, a great greeting. When the Lord says, I'm with you. You know, he told um, Abraham that he was with him and Abraham's life, though very blessed, had a lot of difficult roads to go through. Moses was told, I'm with you. And Moses Though he led a nation out in freedom, found himself in a rather difficult road with a bunch of stiff-necked, stubborn people and a lot of suffering. And he even said, I'm with you to David. And David's life was one of being chased around by Saul, barely saving his neck and, and moral difficulties. And yet God was with him. I think Mary understood this. She probably knew her, her, her stories and scriptures fairly well because it says in verse 29, she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be? Okay, where, where are you going with God? I, I don't understand. The angel said, don't be afraid, Mary. You found favor with God. Now I want you to know why she had found favor. Listen to this next set. Behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son. And you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and he will be called the son of the most high. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom, there will be no end. Does this sound familiar? The seed of a woman, a blessing to the nations, a king who will sit on the throne of David forever and ever and of a rule he will never end because he will bring about righteousness and peace. That righteousness which will break this serpent who will release us from the very bondage that we were placed into to bring us back into rightness with God, with ourselves, with each other, and with this earth. A kingdom coming, a kingdom coming, a kingdom of God, a rule that would be living within us. You see, what we're looking at here 
It's a powerful set of scriptures that remind us that this wasn't time to open a Christmas present. Every time it seemed like God offered a Christmas present, it was an empty box. But that's not what God was doing at all. He wasn't offering a Christmas present. What he was offering was a delivery package. We've been just tracking it through the mail. That's all we've been doing. You see, when God gives you a promise, when God says, I'm bringing something, he means it. You see, Jesus is the delivery package kind of hope, not a wish fulfillment that everything else wants to give you, not the wish fulfillment politics or consumerism or even the next generation wants to give us where we hope and we hope and we hope and we're disappointed and we're disappointed. We're disappointed. No, Jesus was a promise given by the God who never fails to deliver on his promises. And every time we stopped in history and every time he spoke, he said, it's on its way. It's gotten a little bit closer. It's a little bit clearer. It's a little bit more. It's hope and it's going to be delivered. That's a radically different form of hope that we have. Guys, we don't have a wish fulfillment. Boy, I hope God does something with this one day. No, we have a guarantee on his delivery. The hope of Christmas is not some, boy, I wish there was peace on earth. Man, what a great sounding idea that is. No, it's a guaranteed delivery. It's sometimes just on its way. For many of us, it's already located in our souls. He's already reuniting us. He's already putting us back together. He's already doing this great thing. Because what God does in this is he shows us that he's been bringing about a delivery package kind of hope. It's the kind of hope that I had one day when I was young. I, I, I snuck up to my parents' room once. To look at the packages. Well, maybe I didn't do it once, but I did many times. This time it worked. <laughs> I went on up to my parents' room, and the, for some reason they didn't try this hard, very hard this year. They just kind of thrown some sheets over the presents, and I'm like, ooh. So I lift the sheet up. I know nobody's home, and I'm looking. I'm like, oh. And there was this game called Heroes Quest. It was like this one-off game they made by Mattel, and it was like awesome to me. I was so excited about it. I'm looking at this thing, flipping it over and hiding it, run back downstairs. And I, you know, I've got a guilty conscience, so I tell my mom, Mom, I, I looked at the presents, and she's like, oh, that wasn't for you, that's for your cousin. And I'm like, no, it's not. You don't get my cousin presents like that. I knew it was mine. And man, that was one of the most exciting times for Christmas. I could not wait because it was coming. It was a delivery that was guaranteed. That's the kind of hope and expectation we should have as Christians, this kind of hope and expectation we should have as the world. God hasn't left us alone without telling us the delivery is on its way. It had already been delivered. It landed. It's been here in a woman blessed named Mary who brought about the very hope we longed for. This division, the separation from each other, the separation from God, the separation from these things. It had come. It was here. Because God's promises don't fail. That's the first simple application I want to give you guys. The promise of God gives a hope we can guarantee to get. It's a hope you and I can, can bank on. He doesn't just say, I'm going to do something and go like, oh yeah, I forgot I said that. God doesn't forget his promises. God doesn't flippantly state a promise and then ignore it later. No, when God says it's coming, sometimes it may not show up immediately. In some cases, it takes millennia. In some cases, it takes minutes. But God guarantees on his promises in Scripture. We as humans ought to memorize those. We ought to know what God has promised. When he says things like this, blessed are you who are poor in spirit. Who are poor? Who are poor in spirit? I'm poor in spirit. I have a distance. I have a poverty in my soul. I have a poverty with people. I, I have hope. I have a longing for hope. If you are a human who hopes for something, you have a poverty in you. And he says, blessed are you if you recognize that hope and know how to feel because the kingdom 
of heaven is yours. That garden life where everything was right and everything was ruled by God and everything was put in. It was his world in his way, in his truth is ours given as a gift. It's back. It's yours. Blessed are you who hunger and thirst. Talk about hope words. Hunger and thirst for righteousness. For being right. Her rightness with God, a rightness with men, a rightness in my soul, a rightness with the earth. If you hunger and thirst, he says, you're blessed, you will be satisfied. Promises we ought to hold. These are the basic beginning teachings that Jesus was saying. All your longings, all your lookings for what was back in the garden lost. Will you find it in politics? No. Will you find it in your family? No. Will you find it in your stuff? No, no, no. It's not there. It's given to you as a gift by God. Promised to you in his word if you will simply wait for him to fulfill it through his son, Jesus. The hope has come. Oh, he says, I already know what you need. Ask me. Then go seek and knock. Yes, God says no sometimes. But a lot of times I think we don't receive the answers to our prayers because we just pray them and we don't expect that God actually is going to fulfill his promises. You know, sometimes we as Christians and we as humans, we think God's just out for himself when he so loves us and he so cares for us. He's told us, I promise you these things. I want you to trust me. And God is willing and able to solve and solidify that hope. What is longing in our souls, he is willing to satisfy and end that problem as we get to know him. You say, well, how can that be? Well, that's a great question because that's exactly the question Mary asked. Notice this as we get back into the text. He says, don't be afraid. You found favor with God, and he explains all this. And Mary said to the angel, how will this be since I'm a virgin? We could ask, how will this be since we're, such, we're, we're sinful and we have such distance? How can this be when it doesn't seem like anything's resolved? He says, look, the angels answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the children to be born, the child who be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold... Your relative Elizabeth in her old age has conceived a son and is in the sixth month with her, with her who is called barren. And then he says, why am I explaining all this to you? Verse 37, for nothing will be impossible with God. How, how can this be that God could answer our hopes in one human being? How could this be that God can answer our hopes in Jesus? Because nothing is impossible with God. God can answer our hopes. He can do it because he can do anything. See, in Jesus, you suddenly meet someone. If you're willing to follow him, if you're willing to read about him, you're willing to see what he teaches and what he works out and what he does on the cross, you begin to meet a man who tells you, no, love one another, not just one another, love your enemies. Why? Because he knows every enemy is more than just a stranger. There are brothers and sisters made they're fellow human beings made in the image of God that are to be called together. God is saying, no, this is our opportunity to be bound together. This is the teaching that I have for you. He goes all the way to the cross and on the cross he bears the sins of the world. The gap that was distanced between us and God is solved. You know what's interesting about that word sin? It's an archery term. It means to miss the mark of the target. And it's about the gap between what should be and what isn't. It's a term calling us back to hope the day in which we would hit it. And only Jesus did it because he bore the gap. He bore the miss. He bore the sin on himself that we would be made right. 
When we're right with God, we, become, we start to become right with ourselves because our value is there. Our guilt is removed. Our shame is turned to honor because he wishes to honor us as his children. And then we can begin to hope for others. We begin to see how you image God and how you match who he's made you to be. We begin to have hope and dreams and visions for each other. And a stranger becomes a friend who becomes a family member. And we begin to make and bring about a transformation within one another. And then in the end, we begin to see the earth and things move right. But hey, there's a long distance journey between when that will ultimately come about. But it's still our hope. Why? Because Jesus didn't stay dead on the cross. He rose from the dead. He brought new life. And in that new life, he promised that we would have new life. Not just spiritually, but physically. There would be a resurrection and a return to a resurrected world. Not just a small garden with a few people. No, a garden city inhabiting the host of humanity in peace in his kingdom. The resonance of hope in our hearts land in the package delivered in Mary. It is ours to have because God can do anything. And in, the, in Jesus Christ, he can transform any aspect of our hearts and lives as he's transformed our relationship with God. I, I, I just invite you to consider Mary's response then. Where she's being invited to suffering, she's being invited to difficulty, rejection by her culture, all kinds of problems are coming because she, will, she has been invited to this. Here's her response. Mary said, behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed. Her response was faith. If God can answer these prophecies over and over and over with the delivery of Jesus, the transformation of human hearts even today, I would hope that we could come to the place that in any of the promises that we're holding on to, that God has promised us, that we can just simply say, you know what, God, this may not be here, but I trust you. Let it be according to your word. Not my experience, not my sight, which let's be honest, my experience, my sight have been off a few times in life. But God's word has been spot on every time. And I want to encourage you that this Christmas, don't look for the hope in all these other things. Find the hope in the one who is in the manger, the one who bore our sins, that gap on the cross, and rose from the dead to give us life. That is the exciting hope found in Christmas, a guaranteed delivery. Would you bow your heads with me? You know, I've, I've taken this time to, to hopefully explain this to you if, you've never heard it before, if you're a guest here and you're considering Jesus and you're looking into Christianity, maybe today is one of those days that you, you take a first step forward. I want to encourage you, maybe your first step forward is to actually begin to follow Jesus. What I mean by that is to take up where we left off in the book of Luke or begin at the book of Matthew and just start reading through who is this Jesus? How has he brought about this kingdom, this return to peace and the answer to our hopes? And let Jesus begin to teach you and follow him through those pages and follow him to his cross and follow him to his resurrection. See what he teaches you. But maybe you've been doing some of that. Maybe you've been following, maybe been examining and now it's time for you to make a different move. Maybe today it's time for you to trust him to trust his words and his promises, to trust that he is willing to bear the gap between you and God on himself, the sins that we commit, the rebellion that we've formed, 
and to make it right between us and him. And maybe it's time for you to just receive that, to be right with God so that you can be removed of that guilt, that shame, or that fear and begin to be knitted together in your soul and then be able to care for others around you. And so if that's where you're at today, you're ready to make that trust that Jesus Christ can take that for you. It's not about how good you are. It's not about all the things you've done. Nope, it's just a gift God gives you. And you've got to be willing to receive it. And if that's where you're at today, start just by receiving it right now. Turn, pray to God and say, God, I know there's a gap between us. And that gap is filled with sin. Would you put that sin on Jesus? Ask that you'd forgive me. Thank you that you've loved me like this. Thank you for your gift. Would you please come in my life? I wish to follow after you through the rest of it. Lead me, please. Maybe you're praying that prayer or you're praying something like that and you're sincere. I want to I welcome you into the family of Christ. And if that's you, I want to pray over you this morning. I'll give you a chance to just let me know by right where you're at in your seat, you're just putting your hand up. You're saying, that's me. I'm trusting that Jesus has taken that sin and I'm ready to follow him. If that's you today, I want you to just let me know. I'd love to pray over you. Amen. And God, I do. I lift up those whose hands are raised who have made that prayer in their heart to you. I ask you to bless them. Let your word be true. Let your kingdom be established. God, they've hungered and thirsted for righteousness and you are willing to satisfy it. God, they know that they have a poverty and you are willing to pour your riches into it. Would you bless them with that knowledge? Would you guide them now through life as they become just well in their soul, well with others because they are right with you? God, thank you for them. And God, thank you for this church. I ask that you bless all of us in such a way that we might walk with you this week in the remembrance that you are the hope and that your promises will be delivered and that we can go in life guaranteed of that. We surrender ourselves to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, hey, if you did make that decision today, we would encourage you to let more than just me know. Um, let the church know, and there's a couple ways you can do that. And the reason why is we want to help you begin this journey. We want to get, answer questions you might have on understanding, misunderstandings, get, get you started with a Bible. There may be all kinds of things that you're like, I don't know what to do next. We want to help you know what to do next. And so let us know. There's a blue card in the seat. You can use that. It says first steps, and you can pull that out, fill that out. You can drop it in the box in the back. Maybe take it up to one of the people here who's going to be up here for prayer. Or even if you want to just use the app, you know, we have an app that you can just tell us that you made the decision on the app. All that's available to you, and we want to allow you just to let us know so we can get connected with you and help begin that relationship. Otherwise, our prayer team is going to be up here. They'll be around the room today. And if you need prayer, feel free. Be, come connect with one of them. They would love to pray for you, not just now, but throughout the week. And they're here to care for you and to minister to you. This is how we lift each other up. And so they're available um, around the room. And so you're, you're welcome to do that. Otherwise, what we're going to do is we're going to close out this service uh, just with a Christmas song, a song that fits into this idea of hope. So I ask that you stand up and let's sing this out together as uh, we start this season off right.